Hi, and welcome to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma. This is a marketing podcast like you haven't heard before. It's about real connections and honest conversations. Why am I here? To remind you that you can fly. If you're brave enough to listen to that calling inside you, I'm here to serve you and show you that marketing can and should be honest, that the truth sells and authenticity wins. So how can businesses and brands build a real and authentic audience? The Authentic Audience Podcast gives you insight into growing your business and marketing strategies to gain real followers and loyal customers. Each week, I create a space of radical honesty for thought leaders and entrepreneurs who have built successful businesses to share their insights on business, marketing, relationships, life, and spirituality. Each episode is sure to remind you the power of storytelling and truth selling. Get ready to get real, get raw, get honest, and keep growing. Jay Akunzo is an author, a speaker, and a serial project creator. His current venture is the media and education company, MarketingShowrunners.com, which helps people find and share their voices and make a difference by making great podcasts. Jay is also a longtime show host and producer, having launched more than 10 branded series in audio and video, plus three self-funded projects. He's the author of a book called Break the Wheel. It's a book about improving decision-making in your own unique situation, and it challenges us to question best practices, hone in on our intuition, and do better work. Jay is a former marketing and creative leader at companies like Google, HubSpot, and the VC firm NextView. Jay's professional mission is to help others find and share their voice so they can make a difference and shift the culture for the better. Obviously, you know why Jay is here after hearing that bio. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to a fellow marketer. I never get this... uh, I never get this opportunity, so this is <laughs> going to be fun. Um, uh, first and foremost, how are you? What's happening in your world? Tell me everything. Yeah, I mean, the, I think someone told me recently that the, the default answer used to be great or good or even fine, and I think now you have to say, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, family's doing well, and uh, we're in Cambridge, Massachusetts here, quarantining, staying socially distant. We have a very, very tiny, tight bubble of parents on both sides to help with kids, but other than that, we're, I think we're following the rules and trying to stay healthy and get through this as are we all. Yes. Uh, that sounds like my situation, except I don't have the kids yet. And I definitely mm. have a, a newfound, um, appreciation and just respect for yeah. parents during this time. A lot of my friends have parents and, or our parents and, um, having kids during this is just a whole nother experience. So yeah. if somebody I, was, uh, if somebody was wondering, should I have a child during a pandemic? Um, my advice would be maybe don't, right. maybe don't, Right. <laughs> but all things considered it's, it's been great. And I am getting days with my daughter. We have a, uh, an 18 month old literal days of my life to spend with her that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So that yeah. is, that's not even a silver lining. That's like a sl- silver cloud. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. We got to spend, uh, like two weeks with my parents, I'm getting to see my husband's parents a lot more. And I just think the priority and shift, uh, towards family and towards people that we have decided can be in our bubbles. Um, yeah, it's just been really beautiful connecting with family more than I normally would. Um, so yeah, let's just jump right in here. Um, I usually start by asking the same question, which is what is your, why, why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed? Yeah, well, it's right there in my bio. I love helping other people use the created work to make a difference. 
And so often the reason we don't has nothing to do with, um, you know, some of the reasons we think we're not creative or make stuff that, that is impactful is we think creativity means big. So I love debunking the fact that it doesn't. It's just the sum total of lots of small choices, all of which we can make. Creativity is for all, not for a few. Like I love these ideas um, that making things that make a difference has been democratized. And I want to help more people do that. So the way I sum that up is to say, I want to help people find and share their voices and make a difference through the created work. How do you do that? Well, right now, so that I actually have this written out. So at the beginning of quarantine, I, you know, like a lot of us was kind of back on my heels, feeling very reactive and sort of listless, a little bit energy yeah. uh, deficient. And I'm an extreme extrovert. So I recharge my batteries around lots of people, Same. Which, the, which is the exact thing you cannot do right now. So, you know, I was struggling and thinking about how do I get back to being proactive and making stuff? And so to me, that's how you find answers and clarity and energy. It's not to go gather up a bunch of advice or insights. It's to start making. And through the making process, you find better ideas. You improve your skills. You find yourself and your relationship to the world. And you sure get results for your business. Um, so I wasn't making anything for a while. I just started doing random side projects again and, um, trying to support my work, but also just my, myself as a person. And I actually wrote down these things, which leads me to answer your short question there. Um, how am I doing that? How am I executing on that? Why? So I wrote out the why the how is a couple different dimensions and the, what is the projects, the things that Mm -hmm. sound like work. So the how changes a little bit, the what changes all the time, the why almost never. So the how is very simple. It's to find- I swear I didn't steal that from Jay, by the way. I literally say that. We all do, right? (laughs) We all do. So I I like, I want- So real. I want to make sure that the decisions I'm making are not dependent on trends or tactics, but they actually are what's intrinsically motivating to me Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm going to die someday. I don't want to spend my time executing on someone else's mission for my work. Um, A friend of mine says, if you don't write your own story, someone else will write it for you. A guy by the name of Chase Jarvis, uh, who wrote a wonderful book called Creative Calling. So how do you write your own story? I start by writing. So I have the why. The how is do things like find and celebrate creativity, deconstruct and analyze the created work to make it more accessible for all and help people challenge conventional wisdom by helping them find first principles. So those three things are how I would like inform the tactical, the project level. Mm -hmm. And right now the project level is to build this media company called Marketing Showrunners, which helps teach people how to make great podcasts that support their businesses, but more importantly, make some positive change among the people they want to serve with that podcast. Um, That's going to change all the time. You know, I also have public speaking. I also wrote a book. Like I'm a multi-hyphenate. I like to tinker. And I, I now understand that I should embrace that and harness it and not try this false sense of picking one thing and doing it for 10 years. Yeah. So as long as I have that written out like operating system, why, how, and what, I know the what's going to change a lot, the how a little bit, and the why almost never. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, so you do have a lot going on and I, I really appreciate your answer and everything that you just shared. And um I was reading your bio and looking at your LinkedIn and looking at your book and you, you do a lot. Um, you're a very serious entrepreneur and time management is a big conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, how do you decide like when you get up on a given day, what your focus is that day? How do you not get distracted from a million other things going on? Um, how do you manage your time? Is it by, you know, is it 
data? Is it numbers? Is it budget? Is it scheduling? Is it passion? Is it intuition? Is it all of the above? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You hit on a word that's very important to me, which is intuition. Um, And I did a lot of research around this concept for my book. In In the subtitle of my book, the word intuition appears. So it's very important to me. And so that is how I guide a lot of my work. And um, it doesn't mean I put a finger to the wind and think, oh, I'm going to go this way today. I do have a plan um, and I document it rigorously. So I use an internal wiki program called Tetra. I document the, the why, how, what stuff. I also document uh, my current focus and the challenges I know I'll face and how we're going to try to overcome those challenges. And I try to answer two very simple questions, which is what is this for and how will we know it's working? So that's like design thinking 101. And there's a third question. There's a third question, by the way, that you should also ask, but we know it as an organization, which is, who is this for? Like, who are you aiming to serve? And more importantly than that, maybe who is this not for? Like, what belief system do the people that you want to bring together and bring way into your corner share with you? And by default, that means some people will not agree, even though maybe their job title or their, you know, optics look like they're a customer. So when you get to the psychographics, the beliefs, the feelings, the emotions, the things that people use to make decisions, that's where people say, oh, I'm very for what Jay is building or very not for. And and we're good with that. So the first question is really, who is it for? But the next two are, what is it for? What purpose does this serve in their lives? And then how will we know it's working? So I document all this stuff pretty rigorously in Tetra and then use my calendar to guide my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of creators start out rejecting the idea that organization (laughs) breeds creativity, but then you look at literally all the research about idea generation and they find that constraints gives you more ideas and more effective ideas. So quantity and quality together, when you actually are organized, know your constraints, things like deadlines and budgets and those three questions I mentioned. Um, So this this is a new version of me. If you interviewed me 10 years ago, I think I would have made the same mistake a lot of people make. And I did, which is just let me go for the total wide open schedule and freedom and figure it out as I go. And that's how I burnt out. Yeah. Burnout. Keyword. Um, Yeah, that was so much to unpack in that. And I think that that's so beautifully said. Also design thinking. um, Two of my family members studied design thinking at Stanford. So I'm quite familiar with that. And I love how you brought that into this. I actually haven't thought about that um, in terms of marketing, but I say that all the time. So who are you serving and what's in it for them? And that's how we, you know, create and stuff like that. And I also, um, Stephen Pressfield is like one of my big inspirations. He wrote The War of Art turning pro and talks all the time about how the creator, the artist has to sit down every day at the time and do the thing. And that's what makes the artist a professional. And I, right. Right. Yes. Cause what is, what is creativity? If not just the interplay between repetition and reinvention. Yeah. That's it. You put yeah. in a rep, maybe you insert reflection in the middle there. You're like, I'm doing the thing. Now I'm like consuming it. Like my audience would, I'm thinking about it. I'm reflecting on it. Now I'm going to do the thing a little bit differently, a little bit better and certainly more. And yeah. I think that that issue, you know, if there's one bit of advice that I wish everybody entering the workforce who wants to create stuff for a living would just get tattooed on their desk. Tattooed on your desk? You don't tattoo desks. Anyways, I didn't want to tattoo people's skin in this metaphor, but sure. stay with me, people. Stay with me. The one bit of advice is that if you want to get good at something, you have to ship a lot of work that's going to feel bad to you for a while. Mm-hmm. But the intent to be good needs to remain. So you don't ship because you're lazy. You don't ship because you're like, ah, I don't really care if people don't like this. As long as it drives some 
modicum of results. I don't care. No, you should care about the, the taste that you have and the creative vision that you have and the sense of service that you have. That should remain. But to this is the Ira Glass quote, to close the gap between your taste and your ability, you just have to put out a lot of work. So to me, there's only one project, which is your body of work. Like everything connects to everything. So why are you agonizing over what you should ship? Just start making stuff because mm-hmm. all you're doing in delaying is delaying the inevitable improvement process. Yeah. Like the reps plus the reinvention equals creativity. Yeah, I agree. It's a muscle that you have to use every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was first starting this company uh, with my husband, like five five years ago, we were really into James Altrucher and he does those lists. You know, every single day he writes down ten ideas um, to sort of use that muscle, that idea muscle. And we started doing that at the very beginning, just 10 ideas every single day. And eventually you come up with a really good idea that you actually want to execute on and therein lies our company. So yeah, I think that what I really like about you is I, you know, I'm very spiritual and a lot of the work that I do is deeply intuitive. Um, It's very spiritual for me. I'm like creating for something bigger and to create this bigger, you know, healing and, um, energy shift really, but you're saying all the same things, but in a way that I think that more people can actually grasp and understand. So your delivery, um, is going to reach a wider audience than mine, but I really appreciate it because I also see you and you're doing a lot of that intuitive work as well. And for me, it's such a, such an important part of business. I say all the time for me, it's like strategy meets spirituality and like where that, intersection lies is where I live. Um, well, it's great. It's first of all, it's great to meet a fellow traveler in that regard, Krista. So that's, that's one thing I wanted to say, you know, but the other is I've just realized through my speaking career, which was a big, big part of my business, you know, until the quarantine started that to, to make sure people to have an impact, you have, you want to go from a to Z because you already know these things or think through these things or did the work or did the research or found the insight or whatever. So when you get on a stage, this is true of podcasting, this is true of writing, this is true of teaching and anything, your temptation, and it's very natural, you're not consciously thinking this, is you're going to go from A to J to K to N to Z. But you have to go A, B, C all the way. You can't miss a beat or else you Mm -hmm. miss having an impact for that that one person who's sitting there thinking, I don't quite agree, or yeah, but my boss or my numbers. So it's funny you pointed that out because I often joke with people that like I've had to get really, really good at coming up with all these rational cases, these strategic sounding cases for doing very emotional human work. Totally. You know? Yeah. You're a bridge. You're a bridge. Right. Um, and I fall on, you know, one side and then there's other people that fall on the other side and my husband's the same way. He's actually created a bridge between my dad and I, um, because he can have that conversation with my dad and he can also have that conversation with me. And we need people like you because I'm for the most part, you know, I would say I'm not super this end of the woo woo spirituality spectrum. I'm somewhere in between, but I don't really use facts. You know, I use intuition, I use experience. And then there's the other side, but but the bridge people are so important because I'm talking to this side and those people are talking to that side, but it's you and it's the people that are doing the work that you're doing that can talk to both sides. And that's what is so needed right now. So it's so cool to see that, um, in the work that you're doing and in what you're saying, I think it's so important. Um, talking more about marketing. So 
I love marketing. Um, I'm a huge fan of marketing. To me, marketing just means investing and reaching the people you want to pay you, um, spending time, energy, and money reaching people that you ultimately want to pay you. And what I really like about what you talk about is marketing is about who stays. And I say this all the time. From a strategy point of view, keeping a current uh, client, customer, loyal, engaged, happy, purchasing from you is a lot cheaper uh, than reaching cold audiences and going that sounds, out. That sounds awful like the other side of the bridge, by the okay, way. Okay, okay. When it comes so to you marketing- are, You are I'm speaking- I'm both. I'm both. both. Um, I am both, <laughs> but you're definitely uh, encompass the bridge a little bit more than I do, I would say. I'm not all the way there. Fair. Uh, so- it's cheaper, A. Um, but B, from just a connection standpoint, do you know, for me, it's about building relationships and things like that. So I yeah. really appreciate that point of view. So many people think marketing is more, 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 more cold leads, more leads, more leads, more clicks. Um, for me, so much of it is about the nurturing phase, the consideration phase. So how do you uh, get people to stay? How do you hold their intention? How do you teach people to do this? And how do right. you well, one, actually, how do you get people to understand that shift <laughs> first? And then how do you then coach people or advise people um, on their strategies around the staying? Right. So, okay. Imagine there are two different organizations. Let's call them brand A and brand B. And let me describe the two for you. And then I want to ask you and your listener, which you'd rather be. So brand A has tons of people, lots of resources. They're heralded in the industry, lots of awards. They are innovative. They're winning all these like high ranking things on blog posts, number one brand for this, et cetera. Um, they have an executive team that just quote unquote gets it. Uh, and I mentioned like, you know, tons of resources to execute on it. So that's brand A. Brand B competes with brand A. They have none of those things. They are not well known in terms of like industry analysts. They uh, do not have tons of resources. They have a much smaller team. And their executives internally, you know, debatable. Sometimes they understand this modern philosophy of marketing, sometimes not. But brand B has something brand A doesn't. This is a hypothetical. This could never happen in reality, but assume it's true. Brand B has a one-to-one offline in-person relationship with every single human being that could possibly buy their product or service. I'm not talking like know your customer like we have data. I'm talking about a relationship like you and I now have a relationship or better yet, friends, family, colleagues, former colleagues, former classmates, et cetera. Imagine that, right? Now, who would you rather be? Brand A or brand B? If your job is to be successful, a (laughs) thousand percent brand B. Your best friend does not need to A-B test their email subject line to you to get you to open it. This work is about relationships. Marketing is about participation, not promotion. Because if you're trying to serve a group of people, how do you expect to get any response to lead to change anything if you're not participating actively in the community? And participation doesn't mean I'm liking seven things in a row the moment I follow you, which is what happens on Instagram all the time. Someone will follow you, like seven things immediately, and DM you to sell you something. It's like a robot's version of rapport building and relationship building. Somewhere in the back of their mind, that person went, rapport building phase ending, attack, attack, attack. No. Building actual relationships means adding value before asking for it. It means helping out. It means giving people a platform upon which they can stand. So the way I sum this up is that marketing is not about grabbing attention. It's about holding it. In other words, really great marketers understand that the job is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. And a great thing happens when you get more people to stay 
which is you earn trust and love and they can help you get the new people. Mm-hmm. So we have this funnel idea behind marketing where the goal is to grow the top of the funnel and that's where you get the more, more, more. I think it should look more like concentric circles. And instead of starting all the way out at the biggest circle, which is like complete strangers, start in the middle with these medium-sized circles of like casual connections, people who kind of like you and know you. And the job of marketing is to bring those into the center to become true super fans, really passionate supporters of what you do, not because they necessarily buy right away, but because they share your belief system. I mean, that's what subscription means. It's not click a button to join a list. It's I am subscribed to your philosophy, to your way of seeing the world or the change you're trying to make. So that's what marketing is. It's not about who arrives. It's about who stays. It's not about extend, extending the top of the funnel for awareness. It's about affinity, which means getting tighter towards the center of these concentric circles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And I'm so happy to hear somebody else say that. See, this is what the experts are saying, guys. I'm not totally crazy. Um, I say this all the time and I teach a, I teach a marketing course and so much of the program is mindset because you can have this strategy, you know, and I say this a lot that, you know, I can deliver you a really killer strategy. So can a million other marketers. Um, that's not what makes what I do unique. That's not what makes you what you do unique. It's helping people actually shift their mindset around selling, around marketing, et cetera. Um, and shifting the culture for the better is what you say. And I really believe that we're becoming more conscious um, as consumers. So we want to know where our money's going. We want to connect with who's selling us. And I say all the time, you know, and I had this experience yesterday with Warby Parker, this huge company. I've been emailing, emailing, emailing them. I'm like not getting my glasses in the mail, whatever. They're not giving a shit. Then I posted on Instagram yesterday, a picture of my face wearing my sunglasses inside saying like still waiting for my sunglasses or whatever. Within minutes, I had somebody reach out to me and all day I had this like back and forth with somebody on Warby Parker who has like a million followers on Instagram, but somebody reached out because they saw my face. I no longer was this like person wanting tech support, this like vague faceless person in the like internet world. I had a face, I had a following, they could see who I was and who I am. And I ended up having this great relationship, this great conversation. My glasses came in the mail. I deleted the post. Can I, can I, ask, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Do you, do you think that was because that you put a face to the support ticket or do you think that was because they didn't want any backlash publicly? They didn't want both. to look bad publicly. Both. I think it was both because the person who reached out to me was very sincere and I ended up having this connection, right? Because it's like one-to-one all of a sudden it's not this, like I'm a number on a support ticket, but I felt like one-to-one. And I even said, I feel more supported now than all of the emails that I've sent and all of the phone calls that I've made through this like one-to-one connection because I've been tossed around, tossed around, but I knew I was talking to the same person all day. And I think it was both. I don't have that big of a following. So like, you know, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been the end of the world, but I did end up taking it down because I had a really good experience. And I think that it was authentic to put up and it was authentic to take down. Also, my mission in putting it up wasn't to get a response. And I say this a lot, intention is everything. Um, Marketing isn't good or bad. Selling isn't good or bad. Your product isn't good or bad. It's the intention that you bring to it that makes the thing what it is. And my intention yesterday was to be funny. I was having a stressful day. 
I had a terrible headache because my glasses aren't here. So I was wearing my sunglasses inside and that's what I shared. Um, now my intention wasn't to call them out, wasn't to be obnoxious, wasn't to do that. And so I felt that I was met with the energy that I put out. Um, maybe it would have been different. I'm getting down a rabbit hole, but the idea is marketing and sales get a really bad rep. And I appreciate everything that you're saying and more I appreciate is your mission to shift this culture and mindset around it because this is like my why. Um, I have a lot of whys, but my biggest why right now is to help people heal their relationships with sales and marketing because that has to do with your value, your worth, your authenticity, vulnerability, your why, your mission, selling yourself and being really excited to get that in front of other people and connect with other people and build those relationships. Um, I'm really excited that you're doing this work and wanting to shift this culture because it's one thing to help shift the culture or mindset around people selling something that aren't marketers, but shifting the mindset amongst marketers, I find to be a bigger conversation. So Mm -hmm. how are you attacking this? How are you communicating with other marketers in this way? Um, If they for example, are selling their programs or their, their services based on clicks or views or, um, you know, all that stuff. Sure. So you're asking how I'm addressing the problems among marketing. Specifically with marketers. Well, I, I think the very first thing is to use a very helpful form of friction, which is to publish content around the beliefs that I have. I mean, from the moment I left my last in-house job at, in a VC firm, Um, the first thing I wrote on my personal blog was how to work in marketing when you're bothered by suck. And it was, it was meant to be a beacon to people that also feel like there are all these things that at their organization or around their industry that people just accept and do because shrug, that's the best practice. Now forget the fact, the very real fact that best practices are lagging indicators of what works. It's bottled up, documented previous knowledge, which means it's decaying. It's no longer as relevant as it could be. Forget the fact that a best practice in general, like the industry practice or the channel practice, does not mean it's the best practice for you. Forget all those giant things, which are very important to pay attention to. That's what I wrote the book about. Forget that for a moment. (laughs) Just focus on the fact that there are cultures today where people understand in their bones what the right thing to do, the human thing to do, the service-minded thing to do really is. Then they go about their days unwilling to speak up, unwilling to try and make any change, unwilling to actually like put their work out into the world to show people what would be a better way. That's to me, the problem I want to help solve. Yes. Why? Why are we unwilling to do that? There's a million reasons. It's very person dependent, but I think it all boils down to this idea that we cling to this notion that we don't know better. Someone else is smarter or more in control or has the keys to the audience and we don't, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's a self-awareness problem here, Yeah. right? Because we're taught from a young age in school, there's a right and a wrong answer. So someone in the workplace is like the teacher now. They know the quote unquote right answer. And so what could we possibly know? And so as a result of that kind of learned helplessness, um, we go seeking our answers out in some vacuum. Like we look for the expert, we, you know, the guru worship is rampant in the business world for a reason. It's because these people are viewed as the people who have the answers. And to that, I say, no, absolutely not. Because the, the variables that they are missing are the variables that make or break great work. They are missing you. You are not present in their calculus. So they are giving you a faulty equation when you run it in your shoes. They are missing your specific customers, your specific resources. There's really 
there's a big difference between the best practice in general and the best practice for you. And so, you know, for two and a half years, I was railing against that problem. And I realized once you address that problem, it's not solved by any means, but then there's this next problem, which right. is, well, how do I get my perception, my voice, my mission out into the world? And so that's why now I've sort of switched from addressing the problems with best practices that led to my book. And the next, next wave of my exploration is to help people launch shows that make a difference. Yeah. And the first thing we tell our workshop students is you're not here to make a podcast. You're here to make a difference. It just so happens to be audio. Mm-hmm. So if the you, podcast if really, is your what? If you really want to boil it, exactly. If you really want to boil it down to one problem, I think you get into a lot of issues because now you're, you, it precludes you from addressing what all these different flavors of issues are. Like if I'm saying to you, I can't give you the answer because of your context and all the variables therein, then I can't say, oh, and the problem facing all these marketers is this one thing. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of flavors. What I can do, however, is go back internally and start thinking about what I believe in and publish that forcefully, loudly. And also hold it loosely, like be willing to update as knowledge comes in, as oh, yeah. new ideas come in, right? It's not a gospel according to one person. It's, hey, I want to go there. I see a mountain peak in the distance. There's a jungle between me and it. I'd like to get there because it represents a better way of working. I'm going to start hacking away at this jungle. I don't know the answers. I have a lot of questions. If that excites you, come with me. Right. And so I think that's the way you start to make change. It's not to say, here's the answer from on high. It's to Mm -hmm. say, isn't this broken? Do you agree? Okay, you do. Could this be a better way? You kind of agree too? Okay, cool. So we're aligned on our belief system. I'm going to keep hacking away at this jungle. Please come along for the journey. And, and for my money, I think the best vehicle to deliver that journey towards change and a better way is called a show. There's yeah. a number of ways to do it. But right now, I think the best thing to do is you launch a podcast, a video series, something for depth in a world trending shallow. Content. I agree. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think too, awareness is such a big piece of that. And so I'm glad that you said that because in order to actually, you know, I get this question a lot is, well, how do you recognize resistance or how do you become aware of these energies and intuitions and all of that stuff and awareness? It's actually questioning the things that we're doing. The other thing that I appreciate too, is when you say this is my belief system versus this is the way it is, it sort of removes the ego from it a little bit. Um, so it's like, this is just what I believe. This is what I think works. This is what I'm doing. You can come with me or you cannot, but it's not like this is the way. And I think that that's a really powerful way to communicate with people. Um, especially, you know, when things have been done a certain way for so long. And what's exciting to me about your belief system is it works. And so it's sort of a mix of the two. It's my belief system, but then you also have data and experience and sort of strategies and examples to show that this way might be a great way. And, you know, I have this friend who's a scientist and how we're best friends, I I will never know because he calls me um, illogically wise. And so I don't actually base many of my decisions or anything on facts, which actually drives him insane because he literally studies like Petri dishes for a living in a lab. And it's really cool when we can, I can say something based in intuition and then he has a fact or some research or some data or historical thing to back up what it is that I'm saying. And I think that what you're doing is that it's like, I have this idea. I have this belief. I'm going to test it. 
And then here's information to let you know that this is actually kind of a beneficial thing to do. I, 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 want, I want to be careful when we when we talk about intuition and facts as, as separate or diametrically opposed, because that to me, that is one of the problems with um, with the phrase intuition, especially in the business world where people do value some of the things that sound like harder, colder ideas. But in the, in the research for my book, what I found was, um, you know, you have all these ideas of like pattern matching and gut feel and all these things. If you really distill it down to the origin of the word intuition, it comes from the Latin intuere, um, or, you know, mid, late middle English intuit, which means, or intuit, depending on the accent, is it the tech company? Is it the word? Um, all of these things mean to consider, to consider. So your intuition to me should not be this gut reaction you just go with, uh, perhaps if it's well-honed. To me, intuition is the ability to stop and think critically about the world. Now, that doing that, questioning something, right? Like you're saying it's this way. Why? Uh, that's a powerful bit of friction. It's a powerful pause in a world where we're just sprinting forward based on, you know, either gut feel or somebody telling us that's the way, it's the best practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's this psychological phenomenon called cultural fluency studied by a guy named Jim Mori out of uh, DePaul University. And he talks a lot about when things unfold as we expect them to, we just turn off our brains and we make mindless choices. And he actually did an experiment on his family, of all people. Um, he lined them up at a picnic back when you could do such things. And he had half the group uh, get their food with white plates. And half the group got festive holiday plates because it was 4th of July. So it was all these American flags and stuff. Then he weighed how much food you took at the end of the line. What he found was people with the festive, the appropriate plates took more food than the people with the white plates. Why? Because it's culturally fluent to gorge yourself on the 4th of July. And then later in the year, he did it again. And this time it was Labor Day. Half the people got white plates. Half the people got Halloween plates. People with the Halloween plates took less food. So taken together, this was like the spark of an ongoing study he actually took into the lab. What he found was when things are slightly off, when there's a little bit of discomfort, we think more critically, we make better, more mindful decisions. And it's not always conscious. It's not like I will take less food because this plate is weird. It's just that we notice our surroundings more. We consider, we intuit what's going on around us. Now, I think that to me is intuition. It's this ability to ask better, more critical questions about your environment instead of just go along with the best practice. So intuition is built upon fact. It's just that Mm -hmm. most things we do in life are not. Most things like the best practice are built on maybe a fact that was relevant a year or 10 years ago. Uh, Why are newspapers printed on such big pieces of paper? It's called broadsheet. It's because there used to be a tax in the 17th century. No, I'm sorry. In 1740, in Britain, there was a tax on the number of pages you'd print as a newspaper publisher. So they increased the sizes of their pages. So you'd have fewer pages, just as many words, right? So why is it that size? Because there used to be a tax centuries ago. And people who break from that and print smaller sheets, they're looked at as crazy. This, this happened in 2000 with the Independent. They shrunk their pages and they sold more papers. Everybody thought they were nuts. Why? Well, because most people were basing their intuition, their decisions, their considerations on a fact that was outdated. Mm-hmm. They were considering today. And yeah. I think that's the difference. Your intuition is you putting up a little friction and saying, hmm, does this seem right or not? I need to interrogate this and investigate this further for firsthand evidence rather than use third-party validation, third-party you know, experts saying it must be that way. 
So again, I want to be very careful. Intuition and facts are to me like peanut butter and jelly. Even better, it's like it's to me it's like Nutella and graham crackers. I'm Italian. So it's like Nutella and literally anything. That's well, how well facts and intuition go together. I mean, I appreciate you saying that because that's how I feel. Um, that's what I believe. But I tend to, you know, speak more generally or Well, broadly. I think what you're saying is the cold, hard, analytical person that doesn't consider emotion and story. But that's what people are. People are the story in their head and that's how they make choices. Uh, well, you couldn't have segued that better. So the last thing I want to talk about is storytelling. Um, I saw a couple posts that you wrote about telling a good story, and I really appreciated um, what you shared yesterday. It was just focusing on the struggle, you know, that little sort of Instagram uh, story that you shared about yeah. storytelling. Um, I really resonated with that and I thought that was well delivered and I want you to elaborate on that a little bit more. So sure. I tend to say marketing is just good storytelling. It's telling really good stories. It's connecting, building relationships, etc. cetera. Uh, a question I get a lot is, well, how do you tell a good story? And I would love for you to answer that, um, in the, in the lens of marketing, but just storytelling yeah. in general. Yeah. So I found this post that somebody had sent me, it was a story of a YouTube channel that I really admire, a bunch of creators who do beautiful visuals. Um, the channel is called Kurzgesagt. You're never going to learn how to spell that by me saying it. It means in a nutshell, and I think German. Um, unbelievable science videos, beautifully designed and, and incredibly well-researched, Kurzgesagt. So they have something like 12 million subscribers. And there was a, a, a blog post about their success. And essentially what it said was, and the two guys who started the channel struggled for a while to get any traction, but today they have millions of views, a small creative agency, and clients like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, et cetera, et cetera. And I, it just, it, I don't, it was the right, wrong time of day, a right time of day, depending on how you want to phrase it. It just hit me like, ugh, that is the exact wrong type of storytelling that I see rampant around the marketing world, where we're, you know, Brene Brown calls that gold-plated grit, where it's like, it was hard for a moment or like we were doing a thing that encountered this one obstacle, you know, and then it's like, but now everything's great. And let's talk about how it's great. And you can be great too. The problem with that is it's flat. You can literally draw a line. There is no tension arcing the narr narrative upward. There's no conflict. There's no stakes. When you raise the stakes, that's why we call it like a narrative arc. Because all a story really is, is three core pieces. Whether you're writing a paragraph or a book, it's the status quo, which is then disrupted by some conflict, some tension, open-ended questions, something. So conflict is the second piece. And then a resolution. And those three pieces, I call that the one simple story, are found in any story, big or small. And the problem with this approach to a lot of marketing content is that we want to skip the hard, the struggle, the tension. But I think we should live in it because that's where story is. That's where emotions are. That's where the lessons are learned. That's what reels people in and causes them to want to stay. Um, you know, we think we have to tell some grand story of like massive success or super dramatic life and death situations. Otherwise, it's not a great story. Not true. We just have to learn how stories work, right? Stories are about these open-ended questions forming in people's minds that they desperately want answered. And when you do answer them, it's a delicious feeling, right? But unless you're creating those questions, unless you have that uncertainty, that those stakes, that tension, the conflict, whatever word you want to use, you don't have a story. Um, here's a really simple example to close this rant here. What if I told you this? I woke up this morning, walked downstairs in my apartment in Cambridge, and I noticed it was a really nice day out and I grabbed some coffee. That's not a story. It's just status quo. That's just a statement of fact. Information. Information. 
But if I said to you, then I noticed something I hadn't seen in a while on my mug. Well, that's not really conflict. I'm not like battling it out with another, you know, superhuman entity in a Marvel movie. Uh, there's really no like existential crisis or business threatening moment. I just saw something I hadn't seen in a while or didn't remember, right? And so now when I say I saw something I didn't expect, your brain goes, well, what was it, right? That's called an open loop. It's, you don't feel the satisfaction of closure yet, but you want it. So the story continues. So unless you feel that desire as a consumer of a story, it doesn't really feel like a story. And so we're just hardwired to want closure. And that's why stories have the conflict, the tension, the rise, because you want the fall, you want the resolution. And the way we're writing it out in the business world or to promote our brands is to stay flat, which actually hurts our cause. So that's back to the very thing we said at the top, which is like, I've had to get good at explaining how all of this stuff makes sense in a business context, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't do this human-centric story stuff, the emotion-driven stories, you also don't drive results. People don't care. People tune out. People avoid you. Mic drop. Awesome. We do have microphones in front of us. I can hook <laughs> No, that was perfectly and and uh, beautifully answered. I just I my background is in film and television, and I was in development, and all I did was read scripts, thousands and thousands of scripts. So um, now for me, storytelling and visual storytelling, like that's marketing, and right. um, I just think that's very well said. But people last- think the story of their brand is we sell keyword optimization, soft SEO software. No, that's not your story. Your story is, yeah. this is what's happening. This is what's broken. This is the better way we envision. We don't know what the future is, but we would, we know what we'd like it to be. Yeah. I love that. Um, my last question for you, um, is what is exciting you the most right now? What are you most excited about? What are you focusing on? Um, yeah. What's, what's like the most important thing for you at this time? I think we're in this moment where people are slowly realizing that you can use business as this very high leverage, powerful vehicle for good, not for gain, but for good. And so like, I've been really excited about the B Corp movement. I've been really excited about, uh, we just launched a, I launched a documentary series. We filmed it all in the field uh, last year before COVID. So it's reminded me what hugging and high-fiving looks like because it's me on camera doing that around the country. We did this for a, a brand called Help Scout, um, which believes in putting humans at the center of everything we do and community and craft and business for good. So there's these little pockets of momentum around like, hey, maybe late stage, winner take all, high growth at all costs, capitalism actually is really damaging for everybody involved except the top of the top of the top. Um, but that doesn't mean that the business, the for-profit model isn't useful. I think it's the most powerful thing to enact change, but you need the right leadership and philosophy. And for my money, a better success story. So what I'm excited about is to play a small part in changing what we tell ourselves is success in business, right? Mm-hmm. It's not more, more, more. Again, it's, it's not who arrives, it's who stays. And that flavor comes through in making a podcast, but it also comes through in how we think about business success and the story we tell ourselves around what success looks like. So to play a small part in trying to push that forward is profoundly gratifying. Um, I think we have a long, long way to go, but I think we're seeing this bubble up in pockets and I'm really excited for it to boil over. 
Yeah, I think it will. I think you're doing it. Um, grateful for the work that you're doing and thank you. everything you're putting out there. Um, how can people find you? Give me every call to action. <laughs> I'm all over the internet. I'm easy to find. Say yeah, you're, you really are. He's really it's everywhere. Not, I'm not hard to find. I'm not on TikTok, uh, nor will I ever be. I, I me left either. Snapchat a year ago. I'm trying to scale back social media usage, including deleting my Facebook account uh, a year and a half ago, which has felt great. But uh, anywhere you can find me, I will respond if you reach out. So I'd be grateful if you checked out my work. And uh, if you got any value at all, I just appreciate you, the listener, sticking around for this whole episode. Yeah, me too. That's beautiful. And we'll put the website and um, all of that information in the show notes. Um, Thank you for being here. I just really appreciate everything you said. It makes me feel like I'm on the right track um, to this whole business for good idea and what's possible in the world of marketing, storytelling, business. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And to my listeners, as always, thank you for being here. I do this for you. And until next time, keep growing.